KUOZ 100.5 is an FCC-licensed radio station operated by the University of the Ozarks, Clarksville, Arkansas. Hello, and thank you for tuning in. You are listening to From the Concert Hall with your hosts Corbin Sturch and Zachary Payne, your vintage radio program here on KUOZ 100.5 FM. Community radio produced by the Radio Television Video Department here at University of the Ozarks in Clarksville, Arkansas. From the concert hall plays some of the famous artists of the past, as well as features a few of our very own from right here at home. So sit back, relax, and enjoy as we take you live right here to our very own little concert hall. Welcome to In the Concert Hall. My name is Zachary Payne. And I'm Corbin Starch. And um, I figured we'd start the show out by telling you a little bit about what we do here. Um, we'll be analyzing music, um, playing it for you and letting you listen to it, uh, giving you our ideas on what, how it makes us feel, and hopefully we make you feel some of the same ways. Right. So, Zach, uh, you want to go ahead and tell them a bit about what we're doing this week? Um, this week, um, we have quite the lineup. Tonight, we'll be uh, talking about the medieval era. We'll be starting there. Um, that began with the fall of the Roman Empire in the 5th century uh, CE and ended in the early 15th century CE. There's no actual clear end to the period. Um, however, um, some people believe that it's credited to the change in polyphony and some of the technology. Right. So, a bit about the medieval era itself. One of the most notable changes was actually in the climate. Um, in Europe, flooding became a big problem in the area, in some parts of Europe, which led to a famine. The ground was too wet to grow crops in. You couldn't get the seed to stay. They would float to the top, or the um, seeds would feel that the, weather, the um, soil was not quite right for them to grow. Also, you had the Hundred Years' War, which lasted between 1337 to 1453. That was war between England and France for the control of France. It really devastated kind of the population and really influenced the lives of day-to-day people. Another part of life that influenced people was the governments began to tax people. You know, in the past and before this time, you had seen that governments were requesting, like, people give part of their food or this and that. You had taxes in that sense. But during the medieval era, the governments actually began to tax you monetarily. They asked for money, and it really hurt the people. We had the Black Death. Um, we also know it today as the bubonic plague. It was, I believe, bacterial. Is that right? Um, yes, it was actually caused by the flea. A lot of people uh, back then, a few years ago, um, believed that it was uh, the rat that caused the plague. It was actually the fleas on the rat that led, the, led to the uh, major outbreak of the plague. Right. You know, we talked about the government's taxing the people. This led to poverty. You know, in order to escape the poverty, people were leaving the country. They thought if they went to these urban centers like London or Paris, they would be better off. They might even be able to change their social standing and be better financially. That didn't really work. Uh, People began to find that even though the urban areas had the jobs, there were so many people flooding them that really in the end they became poor. These cities, you know, with so many people and so many people being poor, there was just no sanitation. Back then, you didn't have the health department like we do now. There wasn't that set standard of living. That's what caused the rats to come in that brought the fleas and really helped spread the Black Death. You know, on top of all of that, we've got problems with the papacy. The Pope's been moving around the last couple hundred years, and people don't know who the Pope is. You don't know if your Pope is in Rome anymore or if he's actually in France where he had where there had been the Pope for a little bit there. This really caused kind of a schism in the Catholic Church that people really didn't know how to respond to. And because of that, it was really hard for people to really get a grasp on day-to-day things. And one thing that helped them deal with that was music, and it was also a way for them to express themselves. Zach, do you want to tell us a bit about music in the medieval era just as a whole? 
Absolutely. Um, the music in the medieval era started out as simple chant and eventually worked into complex melody and polyphony. A lot of it was dance music, but the dance was purely institutional. Uh, meaning by that is that uh, the dances weren't something that were just social. It was there, and it was organized, and this is how you danced. You didn't do your own thing. Um, uh, however, uh, oftentimes, uh, in that beginning, whenever it was all institutional, um, some of the traveling uh, musicians, um, the music that they would play, they would simply make up on the spot even. Um, the medieval music also set up the foundations for notating rhythm and pitch. Uh, the notation actually consisted of two linear, uh, uh, two linear lines with two different colors. There were only two because um, the church actually banned the rest of the chords. The only, one, the only keys that were allowed were F and C. The reason being is because anything that didn't sound major or bright or correct uh, was considered satanic. And so they only allowed F and C, and those were colored in yellow for C and red for F. Right. Uh, you might also see green for C, I do believe. You know, it's interesting. They only allowed that perfect fourth chord to be created between the two chords. Well, I, I say they only allowed that. If you only had those two chords, that would be what was created. But some musicians, if they were, in a sense, against God had what we call the tritone or the devil's tone. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's true. And in fact, um, there was for a while the Pope actually said that uh, writing the, uh, the tritone aside music was um, a serious offense, enough to either get you excommunicated from the church or even crucified in some cases. It, right. They didn't play about this kind of stuff. They were pretty serious <laughs> about it. Right. I mean, and for some people, you have to realize that being excommunicated was like dying. The people believed so strongly in the church. That was their way of life, and their life changed on it. Exactly. And I feel like a big part of that was because for the people of the time, that was the only hope that they had, right. was that they could do well in the church and one day have a better place to go to, even though they're not at a good place in their time. The suffering on earth was so great. I mean, how would one not want something better, some hope of something better after they're gone, to know that it's just not always going to be terrible. The thought that if they did something wrong or against the church and they were excommunicated, it was terrible even after death. That I mean, that thought's just ter- terribly mind-boggling. Exactly. One of our songs tonight actually even addresses that. And... With the excommunication, of course, that would mean if you were excommunicated from the church, then in their minds, that also, that immediately meant you're not going to heaven. Right. And so, that would oftentimes devastate people. And at the same time, while they couldn't, that would devastate them, um, while many ended in despair, suicide also wasn't really a thing inside this era, because suicide in that time meant purgatory, which was the in-between between hell and heaven. Right. So, you know, we've really dove into the church here, and it's very clear the church is a huge part as medieval era. Is there, do you want to talk some more about the musical changes past the church? I mean, the church is a huge deal, um, especially in that era. One thing, at least I know that I, or at least I find interesting, is that during this time, we began to see a change in the technicality of music in the sense, literally, the technical changes. Wire actually became, metal wire became something that was usable. So we see in instruments like what we might call the fiddle or the violin or in the lute and the mandolin, strings could start to be struck instead of just strummed or plucked. Because back then, the strings were made of biological material like hair or intestines or dried organs. Right, Zach? Yeah, that's correct. And um, these, uh, this technology advancement actually is a huge part as to what led to our current day pianos, guitars, violins, standing bass. All of those can be attributed to this technolog- technological advancement. Right. We, you know, we talked about the piano. The piano... <laughs> That's going to be another 200 years, so stick with us for a while. We might get you there. <laughs> It'll be a while. Yeah. Um, you know, we talked a bit about how we see that wire string, but 
the instruments weren't all advancing in the sense that they had to change drastically. A lot of modern instruments never really changed from that era. The recorder, the modern recorder, as well, what we call the modern recorder, is basically the same as it was during the medieval era. So was the pan flute, and a really interesting instrument we'll hear from tonight called the hurdy-gurdy, <laughs> which um, is kind of like, it's got a violin body, but it's got this little wheel inside it that you would crank, and keys you would play on what would be the neck of the violin. We also began to see the portatif, which was a type of organ that troubadours and minstrels would carry with them going places, you know, the lute, the mandolin, the oboe began to take form here in this era. And we began to see the harp getting its real shape. And then, believe it or not, we also began to see the trumpet and the trombone. (laughs) Exactly. Needless to say, this was a time of, even though the church was oppressing what you could do with music, what you could do with instruments was not so oppressed. This was a time of great advancement, and it was a fairly long period. Right. So I think really to begin our musical selections tonight, we should look at some of the music of the troubadours and the earlier part, well, not really earlier, but mid part of the medieval era, but one of the earlier portions where we actually have writings. There's a huge gap in writing in the sense that we didn't start seeing or being able to find the written music of the troubadours until about eight, well, yeah, 1818, I think. I believe it. we really only have two troubadours that we had writings from before that. And even now, we only have about 50 that mm-hmm. we still have surviving works from. And, I mean, it was just in a time when things weren't recorded, especially when the troubadours, they didn't write a lot of their stuff down. I mean, like I had said earlier, they made a lot of it up on the spot. And so that's not something that you can just... Re- replicate over and over again when you only play it once right and i mean especially you know you say they wouldn't write they wouldn't know how (laughs) true there wasn't it was only the beginnings of a sense of notation and so they could only if they did write it down they could only write it down in a way that they could understand and so that left the rest of us just to wonder right i was looking at a book in the library the other day um and it was showing me showing the readers early musical notation and really it looked like a bunch of scrawling it was it didn't resemble music at all as we would know it it almost looked like just plain handwriting mm-hmm. um just real scribbles i mean to us and for those of our listeners who have seen um modern day notation of music um the four four times three four times that is nothing like what it used to be. Simple lines, simple marks, nothing that even me as a music major, I can't even understand. Oh, yeah, no, I didn't even know where to begin looking at that because really to me it looked more like handwriting and really reminded me of like an Aramaic language, how it would be written as compared to music, but it meant something to them. But going back to actually hearing music, I think a great place to start tonight would be a piece from this record called English Dance. And I say this record, all of your songs tonight came off a record called Medieval Music, which is from Robson Library here at University of the Ozarks. We would like to extend a special thank you to them for being so gracious and so inviting and letting us go into their archives and pull out these records to show to you. Um, For those of you who want to find the record, if you go to the library and ask your librarian, you can ask for call number 2101 to find this record for your own listening pleasure outside of this show. And inside this piece, you will experience a sense of movement. You'll hear a very defined beat. This is because of what I had talked about earlier with the institutional dance music. This sense of beat was to keep everyone on time, everyone inside the right style of dance, and so that way there were no mistakes. Right. But... So this first English dance comes to the 13th, 13th century, and you'll hear the early version of the fiddle. So let's see if you can hear that. Let's see if you can hear that early version as compared to now. Because when they recorded this album, the group that recorded this had special instruments built to be correct to the period in time. So let's begin, shall we? Thank you. 
All right. So that was English dance. And so I hope that you guys could hear the beginnings of our modern day violin and um, how it had that sense of steady beat uh, that one could dance to. But today, I don't think I would too much enjoy dancing to it. No, it's it's not what you would hear whenever you go to a dance anymore. That's for sure. But, you know, you were talking about steady beat. I'm sure our viewers are listening for that fiddle. But I just kept hearing that drum. What about you? I would agree. The drum was very heavy in that time, and once again, that was so people knew exactly when their steps were. Right. I mean, real mechanical instruments in this, well, not mechanical in this case, the fiddle would be acoustic, not mechanical. Mechanical we would see with the organ in one of our later pieces, but the acoustic instruments were really advancing in this period. It's when they became more prevalent. I mean, this is the first era of music where you had true instrumental polyphony, real defined melody, more than one at a time. And also, to my understanding, this was the first time that really people traveled and performed for groups of people. Right. Um, You know, you hear about troubadours. You may have heard that in Disney movies or... It may have been a note in passing in your music class. The troubadours were a real group of people from this period. They were the traveling musicians. They would go from area to area performing. They would play in the courts. They would play in the town square. They would play in taverns. Really just anywhere where people would listen. Mm-hmm. And at that time, with everyone so packed together so tightly, that wasn't hard to find. No. I, I don't think it was the healthiest thing either, though. That might have helped contribute to the Black Death. I'm sure the Troubadours would travel in groups. They might have a wagon. I don't know. It depends on the group, maybe. Possibly. I can see that definitely being one of the issues. So maybe we can make our own fair assumption that they might have helped spread that Black Plague. <laughs> but regardless, without right. them, I don't think we'd be where we are today with music. Right. But to continue on with our program, um, we bring you Lamento de Tristan. It is a 14th century uh, piece, and it features the lute, as well as the nakers. Um, Nakers are what, uh, essentially imagine a small tambourine, and um, that's that's what you get with your nakers. Um, It was a really interesting uh, instrument. They're not really used today, like many of these. And you'll hear the lute very strongly in this one. And um, Corbin, how would you describe the lute? The lute, I mean, the lute in this piece, of course, is holding the melody. And, well, I, I say melody. It's more of a strummed thing here. You'll, I think you'll hear the flute come in on this one. But with this, to me, it, I think this piece is made to be reflective, to make you think. It's called a lament, so it would be a piece of reflection or sadness or sorrow. I don't think this one would be a piece of sorrow the way it's portrayed. But I think with this one, the lute... You know, it plays its role, but when I think of this piece, I'm not really looking for the lute. I'm looking for the reflectiveness in it. I'm sitting here, and I've got my eyes closed, and I'm letting this piece take me back, trying to put myself in their shoes, and trying to let this piece bring me a sense of comfort. Absolutely. I can definitely agree with that, and I hope that our listeners will hear that as they take the time. Right. So, shall I? Absolutely. Thank you. 
So that was Lament, and as you could hear, it definitely had a sense of, I guess, just a somber mood to the piece. It wasn't as bright, it wasn't as get up and dance as the last piece was. Right. I know the notes that the record gave us kept playing to plant a lute, but like I, I, I think I mentioned before the song, the flute really held that one. That was where I think the real focus of that piece was. Mm-hmm. And I would definitely agree with you there. It had, it was a nice touch to it because while the rest of it seemed lower than our former piece and not nearly as moving as far as tempo goes, um, it added a bright lull to it. And so it didn't have like a sense of just absolute despair. It had a sense of, I guess, hope on top of what was going on down uh, in the lower register. Right. So now we have a piece called Estampier. Estampier is a piece I give to a lot of pieces from the medieval era. It literally means to move or to stomp or to dance. Uh, it's a French word. So this particular Estampier comme's from Sumerisa Komenian, uh, which uh, if <laughs> any of you can understand my bad French, that um, means summer has come, or summer is coming. We don't really know the composer for this piece, like with a lot of pieces from the medieval era, people didn't really sign their work. It wasn't a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's due to that music wasn't praised like it was later inside different eras. If you were a good musician, then you went on travel, people heard you, that was the end. There wasn't anybody who was specific. There were a few, I would say, that were specifically praised, mainly in the church. But anyone who traveled and just did the dance music, they were unheard of. They just traveled town to town, and they were cool while they were in the town. Right. You know, mentioning the church, music from this period was, when it was written, if they wrote it, was it was all a musical offering that was their gift to the world for God or through God. We get that sense, you know, this is... They're literally their heart and their soul being put out to the people. This is their gift to God, to the people. Absolutely. And that's something that even though we, as we move into the next era later or next week, um, you still have a small sense of that pulling you back. And that I can say that's true for most of the next eras in music, that there's a small sense that it's still for the church in a way for the next few. Right. So, please enjoy this 13th century estampier.
KUOZ 100.5 is an FCC-licensed radio station operated by the University of the Ozarks, Clarksville, Arkansas. This is what matters. This is beyond X's and O's. This is the difference mutual respect makes. This is what character looks like. This is what defines us in Arkansas. This is sportsmanship. School sports is not the outcome that matters most, but the way the games are played. This message presented by the Arkansas Activities Association and the Arkansas High School Athletic Administrators Association. KUOC 100.5 is a nonprofit community radio station. We depend on support from individuals, companies, and foundations. The program you are enjoying now is made possible by Whitson Morgan Motor Company. Whitson Morgan Motor Company, Highway 103 South and I-40 Exit 58, Clarksville. KUOZ 100.5 is an FCC-licensed radio station operated by the University of the Ozarks, Clarksville, Arkansas. Hello, and thank you for tuning in. You are listening to From the Concert Hall with your hosts, Corbin Sturch and Zachary Payne, your vintage radio program here on KUOZ 100.5 FM, community radio produced by the Radio Television Video Department here at University of the Ozarks in Clarksville, Arkansas. From the Concert Hall plays some of the famous artists of the past, as well as features a few of our very own from right here at home. So sit back, relax, and enjoy as we take you live right here to our very own little concert hall. Welcome back. I'm Zachary Payne. And I'm Corbin Starch. And if you're just now joining us, we are going over the medieval era of music. Right. So, if you've been listening to us before, you had just heard Estampier, which was the form of 13th century dance. Well, estampier being the French word for dance in general. So estampier would be associated with a lot of different pieces. This particular estampier was from the 13th century work by an unknown troubadour, Summer is a Coming In. So next up on the program, we have Moulin de Paris, which is the Mill of Paris. This is a 13th century piece played on the hurdy-gurdy. So, if you listened to us before when we were talking about musical advancement, the hurdy-gurdy looks kind of like a violin or a fiddle, but you don't see the strings. It's got a kind of a crank on the end, and you would sit in your lap and crank it, and there's keys along what would be the neck of the instrument that play the instrument. Back in the time period, it was called the symphony. Uh, listening to it, you can kind of hear that because it's the sound of symphony itself, you get that sense of, you hear how it's played. You can hear the keys being tapped here, but you also can hear the fact that there's a wheel spinning inside it, and that's how it's being produced, because the strings are coming down because of the keys and hitting this wheel that's just coated in rosin, so it'll pull the strings just like a bow. And I can't help but wonder how it got the name Hurdy-Gurdy. I don't know. I... (laughs) <laughs> I'm wondering if that was something that we got later, or if even then they were calling it that, even though we have no name for it. That that had to be something that really developed with the instrument. It's, I think it may be in how the instrument speaks. It's got a very distinct tone. I could see that. So, Let's see if our listeners can hear it. What do you think? Hopefully so.
All right. So that was Moulin de Patty, and we hope that you were able to hear some of that wonderful hurdy-gurdy. And um, we now move on to our next piece, which is called World Bliss. Um, this piece was written inside the 13th century, also by unknown. And um, while the medieval piece, uh, medieval music had tons of different kinds of instruments, um, we can't ignore the fact that people sang during this time. And the singing during this time was actually, it was a form of chant. And so when I say chant, it's only one person doing this. And on top of that, it's only one part, obviously. And this type of singing is monophony, correct? Right, yes. Yeah. And so um, you'll hear this, you'll hear this man, and um, keep in mind as you're listening to it, what he's singing isn't put to a 4-4 time or 3-4 time like what we would have or any time signature at all. It was simply the words written out and whatever the singer felt at that moment was how they sang it. And so it was a real sense of expression at the time, which wasn't necessarily allowed, but this was able to do it. Right. It wasn't a big thing to go outside of the norm. You, When you were singing, it was conformity. You know, he mentioned monophony. That's one melody, one distinct melody, and one sound. It's not elaborate like we know it today, polyphony. As we talked about earlier in the show, the medieval era was when polyphony first came to be a thing, first came to exist. True. However, during this time, polyphony did not exist for singers. It was still... Right. Mono. You don't really see that until the Renaissance. Exactly, which can't wait till we get there. Renaissance right. is one of my favorite periods. Well, you've got Talus, Vitretti. Tons. Yes. And we'll go into those later. But more on world bliss. Um, I'm going to go ahead and give you the translation for it. And the translation is, The world's joy lasts no time at all, for it fades away at once. All the joy, both here and then, is finally compressed by weeping and lamentation. For me, this is very somber. It seems that he's reflecting on that we as humans have very little time on this earth. And it almost feels like to me that translation means that the joy that we have, we have to enjoy it in that moment because if we don't, it's gone before we even know it. Right. I mean... When you look at the grand scheme of time and things, life isn't even a blink. It's not even a nanosecond. It's there and it's gone faster than we can ever imagine it. This song reminds us that enjoy the joy while you've got it now, but eventually it's all going to be gone. The joy is going to be overcome by other things, and the world will end. There was the real sense at that time, and it was really pushed the sense of what we would call the end of the world, in the sense that the devil was going to come back, hell was going to be broken free, and there was going to be that final battle, that final bit of revelations. Exactly. And a big part of this was pushed by the church, not wrongfully. In their time, they felt that, you know, with all the poverty, with all the disease, with everything that was going wrong with the world, it only seemed that the revelation was upon them. Right. And, you know, looking back, it's completely understandable why I believe that. Even now, people think that. It's a very wide-held belief, and I can understand why I think that. I mean... Absolutely. I mean, if people were dying from a terrible disease all around you, you had no money, there was hard hard found happiness. I mean, it would be hard to think that the world was not ending. And so, so um, a lot of pieces were put out like this, but I would have to say that out of them, this is one of my favorites. World as bliss may last no The 
That was World Bliss, and I hope that as you were listening to it, even though you can't directly understand the words, um, that you still had that sense of what the translation was, and that somber feeling that the joy does fade, so right. enjoy it while it's here. With almost. that slow lowness, we really felt that, I think, it pulled at you, and even today you hear that sense of that's how we pull at you. You get that lower key, a quieter tone in a somber feeling they knew back then how to pull at you and I'm really I think today that's where we learned it from was going back and listening to our ancestors and knowing how they did it that never changed I don't think what about oh definitely I completely agree there are always ways to pull I guess at the heartstrings through music <laughs> and so that's why even today in all movie movies whenever something sad happens there's sad music with it because nothing pulls your emotions one way or the other like music does Oh, yes. I, I agree. All right. And our next piece is called Alta. Um, it means bass dance or low dance. Most popular style of dance for the courts, actually, was this style of dance, the bass dance. And it was written in what we would call now a 6-4 or 3-2 time. And 3-2 time, actually. It includes both, doesn't it? Right. They overlaid themselves. Exactly, and so that's really interesting to me, uh, the change in time, but what's more interesting is that back then they didn't have a way to notate that, and so I can't imagine just suddenly be singing a piece and it changed time on me and I had no idea that it was coming up. Right, I mean, <laughs> I'm, I'm still trying to wrap my head around the fact that they're playing two different time signatures at the same time. It's, as a musician and a keyboardist and a vocalist both, that's... Oh, it's it's really... I'm still trying to wrap my head around it. For me, I don't have to so much wrap my head around it. I just know that's an area we do not tread. <laughs> and so props to them for being able to uh, take this off the ground and be able to perform it so well. But for me, I don't think this would be my interest to perform. Personally, I appreciate right. it, but I would never <laughs> do it. Right. I mean, I know we don't tread there, but I'm still trying to make my mind go there and try to imagine what it would be like. I'm thinking maybe in the future we may try to do something like that for the show with one of our guests we bring on, try to challenge them to do this in their recordings. As long as it's not me. <laughs> but to continue, um, one big piece about Alta is that it was played on the viols, and Corbin, I believe you know more about those than I do. I, I know a bit about the viol. I mean, I'm not a string player, but I've tried to do my research on the instrument Back in this time, you know, this is right when Wire was coming out, the viol was a bowed instrument. So it never really changed much today. A viol is like a violin, only it's a bit longer, so the pitch is lower. I think the viol can be compared to the cello, but it's not quite as big, if I'm correct. But it is bowed. It does have that foreign body. It does take on that tone, and that is the idea behind the instrument. I don't know if we might later call this the cello, that was never clear in my research whenever I was looking into this, but we do still have what 
is called a viol today, which is longer than a violin, but a little bit shorter than the cello. Hmm. To me, that seems like it's... Maybe it stayed the same? Maybe. I feel like that would have been a good step towards the cello. But anyway, for our listeners, please enjoy Alta. So that was Alta. Up next, we've got Jesus Nachingel. Um, excuse my terrible German, but that translates to the Nightingale or the Sus Nightingale. I think Sus would be a place here, or maybe what they would have called a type of Nightingale. This comes from the 15th century. It's an organ work. It comes from the Buxheimer Rugelbuch, which means it's, it's a collection. It's called the Buxheimer organ book is what the other word would translate to and it's a collection of German organ tablature. Tablature being the way it was written. Music still was, as we told everyone earlier, music still wasn't written on, you know, the five lines, four spaces we would see today. So they called that tablature. It looks like one or two notes moving up and down between one or two lines, which which would have been that C and the F lines. So it's a collection of all these works for organ. Organ at this time really was not what we imagine organ today. Organ today, you've got someone at this giant console with multiple keyboards and knobs and buttons and levers playing with both hands and both feet and Lord knows what all else. Absolutely. <laughs> I think that's a Dr. Gorman question. I mean, I know I'm an organist, but she's so much more advanced in that one than me. I would I would say so. She's oh, yeah. our music professor here, and she is excellent on the organ. She does a wonderful job here for us. I don't think there's anyone better to learn historical music from in this area. That was her specialty. She um, studied at Westminster and Stanford for that, and it's absolutely a pleasure to learn under her, and I don't ever take it for granted. But organ back then was something that was portable. The organ was called the portatif. The portative organ mean the portable organ, the movable organ. There was a set of bellows on the back, and one would set it in your lap on your leg, pump the bellows with one arm, and you would only play with one hand, be it your right or your left, depending on how the organ was set up. You know, the people made it themselves back then, and there was only a really limited keyboard. It would go from, I think, a G to a B being maybe three or four octaves. It wasn't a wide range. And that's really interesting, actually, especially considering that today's modern organ, like the one that we have here at Ozarks, which is, I believe, the second largest organ in the state? No, no, it's only an average size instrument, but it's the second largest in our area, I think. Okay. I know that we did have first for a while, but, you know, (laughs) some people don't like competition. Back when Arkansas was a small state and Raymond Munger Chapel was a very, very young building. 
Exactly. But our organ today has so many octaves, I don't think I could count them. Do you have any idea, any guess on how many octaves exactly our organ has? Just on the keyboard, you have, from C to C, I want to say it's five altogether, but within the organ you have the eight foot which is the normal what we call middle c on a piano and then you go down two octaves on ours our biggest pipe would be 36 feet tall here at our chapel and our smallest being one and a third feet and that being the longest pipe in that division our our smallest pipes are smaller around than a pencil and even shorter so imagine sharpening your pencil to the nub and that's about what you got in our little bitty organ Exactly, and that's well, phenomenal. Not how little bitty, not little bitty, but <laughs> exactly. And these portable organs, their range was smaller, but also their pipes couldn't be at nearly as big as what we have. They were had to be portable, of course. And also, you can imagine inside this time that uh, the sound quality that you're about to hear wouldn't even be quite, wouldn't even be near what we would hear today. Reason being is because as they were portable, that also means accidents happen things get dropped pipes get bent and you don't have the money to fix them right and so it's it was it was an interesting time for an organ right so with this piece it's important to remember you know it's not going to be the range you'd expect an organ to have today it's going to be this mid-pitched instrument that's not going to be equal in how it's tuned but it's still going to be very sweet and very crisp KUOZ 100.5 is an FCC-licensed radio station operated by the University of the Ozarks, Clarksville, Arkansas. This is what matters. This is beyond X's and O's. This is the difference mutual respect makes. This is what character looks like. This is what defines us in Arkansas. This is sportsmanship. School sports. It's not the outcome that matters most, but the way the games are played. This message presented by the Arkansas Activities Association and the Arkansas High School Athletic Administrators Association. Did you just look down at your phone? You did it again, didn't you? You know, you're flying down the road in a three-ton hunk of steel, and a text takes your eyes off the road for an average of five seconds. At 55 miles per hour, that's long enough to travel the length of a football field and cause some serious damage. Turn it off. Trust me. Whatever it is, you'll live. Learn more at StopTextStopRex.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. KUOZ 100.5 is an FCC-licensed radio station operated by the University of the Ozarks, Clarksville, Arkansas. Hello, and thank you for tuning in. You are listening to From the Concert Hall with your hosts, Corbin Sturch and Zachary Payne, your vintage radio program here on KUOZ 100.5 FM, community radio produced by the Radio Television Video Department here at University of the Ozarks in Clarksville, Arkansas. From the Concert Hall plays some of the famous artists of the past, as well as features a few of our very own from right here at home. 
So sit back, relax, and enjoy as we take you live right here to our very own little concert hall. Welcome back. I'm Zachary Payne. And I'm Corbin Sturch. If you're just now tuning in, unfortunately, you've missed most of our show. However, we are about to do our last piece from the medieval era. Um, the name of this piece is Pour Mon Coeur. Um, it is a French troubadour song. Um, and I will let Corbin read the translation. Right. So, this piece really is the epitome of jealousy for the troubadour. The English translation from the French goes to, I sing of a calmly lass who has captured my heart. If only that cruel old husband of hers would get his arms broken, I might have more favor with her. And so, as you can see, this was not meant to be a very serious piece. It was meant to be funny, I hope. I I don't know. It really (laughs) makes me worry but, I mean, people had the same feelings we do now in that sense. People got jealous. People were envious. Absolutely. And oftentimes when studying history or talking about it, it's easy to distance yourself like they are completely different. While they lived in a different time and had different trials, um, emotions were very much so, I would say, a lot of the same. Right. And so with this one... I think it really embodies the fact that the feelings were the same. So we're going to end with this last piece tonight. But before we end, we want to make a few more notes about the record. The music tonight was proposed was um, performed by the J Consort. They're out of London, England. And the vocals were by Gerard English, who is a tenor. Again, to tell you, the record call number at the library, should you want to check out this record, is number 2101. And really the show would not have been possible tonight without a few special people, and we'd like to thank them now. One of them is Dr. Karen Frank, the history professor here at University of the Ozarks. The great people at Robson Library who have helped us tremendously in looking for text to do our research and getting us these records and really keeping us on track with what we're doing in terms of making sure the facts are all there. Exactly. And Uh, so, from in the concert hall, a very big thank you. Oh, yeah. And then, we couldn't do this at all had it not been for the great people here at the Radio Television Video Department at University of the Ozarks, KUOZ Studios, and our staff here, Alex Teagues, our executive producer, Susan Edens, our director of broadcasting. And then, of course, we have one person who you don't see on the show, really behind the scenes, that is um, Sarah Nolan. She's our marketing director. She helps us with our show especially to make sure that we really push ourselves out there to the community and you get to know about us. And, of course, a big thank you from me and Zach both is to everyone who tuned in and listened tonight. It's been great fun to sit here and learn with you. Absolutely. And I hope that you have enjoyed this show. And also, I want to just give a brief intro to uh, Thursday when we will be on at the same time, 9 to 10. Uh, We will actually have a guest on the show next week, or next Thursday, sorry, excuse me. And uh, it is Ben Aiken. His uh, father is actually a professor here at the college. He is a composer and a U of O grad. He'll be coming in, bringing a few of his pieces, and we'll be talking to him. So if you're interested in some of the local artwork, please listen in. It's not going to be something you want to miss. We met with Ben last night. We've heard his works. He's the only composer well, student composer, to ever have their works performed here live at Ozarks. And it's you're not going to want to miss it. So hopefully you'll catch us Thursday night at the same time. But to, to play us out, pour mon And to connect with us through the week, remember we're on Twitter at FTCH underscore KUOZ and then on Instagram at KUOZ Concert Hall. Chantez-vous, veuille sans pensière, du domi de bonheur. 
Ah, 